I'm a competitor. Like I'm the, I'm the type of person that I'm the one that wants the ball in my hand. Like I want that last ball to make the, I, I enjoy that. I thrive off that. And that comes from, you know, sports background. So getting pulled for something that you're practicing and you know that you were doing well was, was hurtful. And I tried not to take it thinking big picture, but you know, I took it personally. I actually went to my car at nationals and I, I was crying. I was like, full on like embarrassed slashed like ah oh, did i suck that bad welcome the 40 out the original competitive ski ball podcast join us as we explore what it takes to become a legend of the lane Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for episode 10 of 40 Out. My name is Joseph Bullard, aka Space Wolf. And I'm Willie Garza. In our last episode, we talked to Edward Flores about his Amplify Austin Ski Ball Tournament. His campaign raised over $12,000 for Austin Dog Rescue, and a lot of you listening right now were a big part of making that happen. Thanks so much for helping Team Caxon surpass their goal. Speaking of the tournament, we want to give a shout out to Floater and Beskemoth for making it to the finals of the Open Tournament. And congrats to Beskemoth for winning the whole thing. We realize you were probably expecting to hear more about Ski Ball in the last episode, so we're going to share the rest of our conversation with Edward right now. I want to talk about Julio Child and what's going on <laughs> with that account. Are you uh, still posting? It seems like you haven't posted in a while. I, I, I am. I actually have a couple, a couple of things waiting to post. As you know, running a social media page can get a little overwhelming when you're managing you know, multiple c- social media accounts. And so with the Julio child specifically, I mean, I cook once a week, so I really get an opportunity to really showcase a couple of meals, but then also to like write steps down of what I actually do. Mm-hmm. You know, I pull for some recipe books, but I don't pull everything. And a lot of the times it's just like going, making sure it makes sense and proofreading. And it takes a while. I posted one last week and I'll post another one this week. Probably work on that tonight. You say you cook once a week. It's because you're meal prepping? Yeah, always yeah, meal yeah. I, I meal prep because as you guys, you guys have kind of <laughs> said, I we do have such busy schedules. I mean, I'm up at 4:45 in the morning most days. For example, yesterday I didn't get home till 7:30. You know, I may pop in really quick to drop the dogs off from work, but it just it's nonstop. So food becomes an afterthought some days. As long as I can grab something and like throw it in the microwave and something that's healthy, so I don't make a bad decision, then I won't hate myself later for it. I'm trying to remember what the bio says on the Instagram account. Oh, it says uh, the love child of Julia Child, and or like the Mexican love child of Julia Child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. I've uh, I've stepped up my cooking and ingredient game lately. Like Meg and I both have, and we've been building a lot of different types of quinoa bowls and like brown rice bowls. So, how do I get recipes, man, for the stuff you're posting? I want to I want to try to make some of the stuff you made. At Julio Child's Kitchen on Instagram, there are more coming, and and we've got quite a few up there. A lot of it, is, it's so. I mean, most people will look at it and be like, "Oh my god, that looks really, really pretty," and you know, the presentation is is nice and difficult to uh, to attain. It's just really like simple ingredients. It's like a lot of fresh mm-hmm. vegetables. Those things don't take me very long to do. So it's it's really just basics most people think it's going to take you like five to six hours of your day meal prepping it really takes me two to three it's a lot of easy easy stuff i do 
Is this for seven days? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to cook for at least four to five. Normally I have like, like a lunch meeting here or there, or mm-hmm. a dinner event. And so, and I, and I try not to get bored as well. So like most people say they can't eat the same thing every day. Again, when you're going like nonstop, you don't care. What do you not eat? Like what is something that you would never eat or like you would never even consider trying? I am not a fan of like mussels, things like that. Do you like oysters? I like raw oysters. I don't like like oysters Rockefeller. I think it's just weird when you put like cheese and bacon oyster. Mm-hmm. It's a texture thing. Those are That's mainly it. I think as I've grown up, I used to hate everything as a child. As I've grown up, my palate has, has been enhanced and I'm not, I don't turn away stuff. Yeah, mine has been slowly opening up. Moving, actually moving to Alabama has helped it quite a bit just because we have fewer options here and we do a lot more cooking now than we were living in Austin. So it's like gradually opening up to more and more things. But Meg and I had this conversation the other day. We're like, what wouldn't we eat? Squid? I don't think I would eat squid. It's not good. They're just creepy looking. Yeah. Would you eat calamari though? No, no, I've never tried it, but I would probably try like octopus before trying squid but i would rather not have either Mm-mm, i've had that before it's, it's too like chewy even yeah. when people say like you have to be cooked right no i've tried it multiple times no i don't like it yeah meg said blowfish i guess just because of like the possibility of it being like prepared poorly yeah there's that that one fish you're not supposed to eat i forget what it's called but i've now mentioned it and i don't know the name something that can actually <laughs> like hurt you but you have to like, take a risk every time you eat it. What's on your list, Willie? I'm not sure. Uh, I know there are lots, because I am kind of picky about what I eat. I don't know if there's anything that I wouldn't try. I, I guess mussels is definitely up there. Calamari is fine. I just don't eat it that often. What about like clams and scallops? I don't really like clams. Mm. Scallops are fine. I think that... um. The puffer fish is a blowfish thing. That's is, what it is. Is a good, is one of those things that I might be a little terrified of just because, like, I don't know the person who made it probably in this scenario and I don't trust mm-hmm. myself to make it. I think more than anything when it comes to food, I don't trust myself when I make food is the problem. Like, I will make food, but even things like if I'm, even if I'm cooking chicken, I'm like, did I cook this long enough? What if I make myself <laughs> yeah. sick? I'm going to feel real dumb if I make myself sick. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I've done that before too. The the, the heat uh, thermometer works though, like the meat thermometer. Yeah. That definitely helps me feel better about it. But I generally will overcook it because I'm worried about it. Yeah, that's what I do all the time. I definitely overcook chicken all the time because I'm like worried about it. And it's dumb. It's not a thing I should even worry about. No, I always just like, uh, depending on the the chicken, (laughs) I'll, uh, my rule of thumb if I'm doing like breast like a boneless breast. That's usually all I eat. I don't, I have a weird thing about eating meat that I can physically see or feel the bone in. I, it's weird. So mainly chicken breasts and chicken tenders. Yeah. So like I, if it's like a tender or a breast, like it's like three to five minutes per side. And then that usually cooks it all out. Do you uh, kind of flatten it out? You know, try to even out the thickness of a uh, like chicken breast? No, not really. I, I usually try to get as much of a thin cutlet as possible, but yeah, I think mainly it, it, it cooks as round as possible. I, I cook most chicken, especially if it's going to be for uh, Instagram. I cook it on a grilling pan mm, uh, just yeah. so that you get those grill marks and it looks prettier on a picture. 
do you think there are any skee ball superfoods? Well, alcohol is one for everyone. <laughs> I, I oddly enough do not drink ever during league night. It's it's got to be a special night. I don't even have a beer. I have to work. I have to be up at yeah, early in the morning. I don't. I don't uh, drink when I have to work the next day. Hmm. I don't think I ever picked up on that. I know we were on a team together too. You never picked on that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I do drink for championship Sunday for team championships and I'll drink for Brody, but mm-hmm. I usually make sure the next day I have off because if I drink, I want to drink. It doesn't affect you too much. Like not drinking for an entire season and then drinking on like in the playoffs and championship Sunday. No, fortunately my uh, weekly one night of drinking a week <laughs> helps me practice for that. <laughs> During nationals, besides winning the nationals, did you do you drink during that tournament? Absolutely. If I don't have to work the next day, I'm drinking. And national specifically, there are so much nerves that, you know, a couple of beers kind of helps calm your nerves a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's why a lot of people will have a drink, right? Is to calm your nerves and not worry about everything else that's going on around you and just sort of settle in. Yeah, that's interesting that you don't during the regular season, but switch to that during tournaments and stuff. I guess it helps, though, like you mentioned kind of drinking throughout the rest of the week. It's not like you're just coming in like after three months of not drinking period and then like getting super faded super fast off like a single beer. That's the question. What is uh what is your preferred drink of choice? Like is there something that you prefer? Lately it's been, you know, I've become very basic and really just like white claws. Uh <laughs> my go to is always uh crown and coke. I like to think that that's a very Mexican drink, but I don't think it is. You know, growing up, you no, know, it's Canadian. I know, I know, no, no, I know that. But like, you know, growing up, <laughs> it's Canadian whiskey. But like, Bocanas was like a thing. I'm from Brownsville, and so you know, that type of whiskey and soda combination has always been, you know, in my blood. So I think that that's why I always go back to that. I like it a lot. Have you ever had Crown and Mountain Dew? No, no. It's like surprisingly okay. Is it? Yeah. Had that sometimes during high school. I didn't really buy it, but other people would have bottles of Crown and that was like the mixer of like choice for them. So I was like stuck drinking that unless I wanted to drink like a really crappy beer, which I didn't drink beer at the time. I never would have thought to put that combination together. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I didn't before that either. Yeah, especially because Mountain Dew is like the worst soda for you. It's got the most sugar. (laughs) Yeah, and like yellow five and a whole bunch of dyes and all kinds of artificial stuff in it exactly people like would go to sonic man and get like the biggest drink that sonic served maybe not the like the like route 44 but like a 32 ounce and then they would like dump out half of it and just fill the rest with like crown oh my gosh oh that sounds miserable yeah i don't like getting shame over drunk so let's talk about y'all season man you are crushing it zero hundos rolled this entire season and Austin Brewski Ball is what five weeks in? Yeah. And your scores are 390, 371, 365, 378, and 385. Have you made some changes before this season or are you just like executing really well? Well, you know, in past seasons, and, and you know, because I'm, I was potentially, you know, using the uh, Nationals format, really trying to master the 40. My goal initially was to kind of break the record, the Austin record for 40s. 
uh, for full circles in a ski zone. And so I accomplished that last ski zone. Bonica and Nick, um, the ski myth and Phoenix, they are playing super aggressively this ski zone. Nick has really made that approach really since he's sec- his second ski zone. He really went for it. And so I, once I did the 40s, it was more like, all right, I, I mastered the 40. I want to master the 50 now. I really want to go there and try to focus on 50 and see what I can do. And I know it's a, you know, it's a lower percentage. You miss a 50, you're likely getting a 10. You, know, you miss a 40, you're getting a 30 or a 20. You have more of a chance to fall in those, those bigger holes. But I've had a couple of chances to get high fives and it pops right in the 50 and then pops right out. So it'll either get white buffalo or I'll get a 410. That's how, that's been the biggest bummer is sometimes you have no control over the lane, but it's been fun. I'm right now I'm leading in chips, which is surprising for me. Um, I'm sure someone could easily come and take that over. I'm surprising myself by being in the lead for chips. Oh, wow. You're well in the lead. Yeah, I've had a couple games where eight and nine chips. Yeah, you have 32 and the next closest roller has 23. Yeah. Yeah, and you still have three weeks left? Three weeks, yeah. I'm trying to, you know, see if I can get that one. My first, you know, attempt out of 40s. I've, uh, mm-hmm. I've gotten the full circle trophy before for the skis in probably about five times now, five or six times. I've gotten cherries once. And so I'm like, well, let me go for chips this, this skis in. Did Beskemoth break the chip record last skis in? He actually tied it. Tied it, right? Yeah, he tied. Well, he, they broke the record together, right? Yes. That's what happened. Same skis in, yeah. Yeah. Him in Brooklyn. I forget who from Brooklyn. It's notorious RIC, right? Oh, yeah. I thought it was Ham. Is it Rick? I thought it was. It was Rick. It was Rick. You're right. Ah. Uh, yeah. So they both broke it, but they tied. So now they both share the, the national record. And you have three more games left. Mm. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that I'll break that record. <laughs> I mean,. I'm at, what, what am I at? You, we said 36? 32. 32. Was it 49? Record, I think it's like 40. If it was 52. 52. 52. Yeah, so I got to get... Uh, you got to get 20 in three games? Yeah. You can do that. Yeah, maybe. Six or seven per game? Once I start putting pressure on myself, uh, I, I, I lose it. You have a game with eight and a game with nine, and then you have three games with five. Yeah. So it might be possible. You just If you had one good week and then kind of average the other two weeks or a nice balance you could do it. it it's a possibility it's a lot more freeing to go the discouraging thing is like when you miss one you're like oh man how did i mm-hmm. go so my score just dropped so low but coming from a 36 game 40 full circle uh mentality to try to master this 50 that's my approach i think what you're seeing right now is we're seeing a trend of hybrid rolling young new rollers who are in skis in two and three are already going to the hybrid when they haven't mastered a 40 yet, I'm like, all right, guys, that, that's not my approach. And it does work for them. I will say there's some of these new guys out here that are male and female rollers. They're playing aggressive games with this hybrid and watching the beskemoths and the floaters and the bonicas really go out there and, and master these you know, styles of rolling that they're you know, making a really, really viable attempt to break into the top of the Austin you know, brewski ball scene. But, you know, as we all know, getting into a national team format or individual, that's tough uh, when you're on a big stage. And that's why I always say you go back to the basics. You can see Baskimith and, and Bonica and, and Floater 
you know, and Skivai, and you'll see them hit those big numbers, but you'll see them be able to hit a 40 and a 50 when they need to. And that's because they've mastered those and they've, they've become really, really good at the down the middle game. And they know how important it is that I try not to lose sight. I feel like I could hit hundos if I really wanted to focus on it, but it's not where I'm at right now. Whenever you're rolling in, in those big moments, you, you need that anchor in the team. And I've always the anchor being the 40 roller, the guy that's going to give you three thirties to full circles every frame. And that's been my approach. I know my role. There's the guy that picks up the trash, like getting all those rebounds to, you know, feed someone the ball to score big. You know, I, I feel like I'm picking up, you know, where my teammates are going to have to go big sometimes. And you can just count on me to get the middle roller. Yeah, it's been fun to watch you go for that 50 game this season and just turn that on. I think it's scared a few people who are watching from the outside because there are other rollers from other cities who have seen your scores, and I don't think they realized that you could do that. Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, it's you've always been a solid, consistent roller, so to just step it up just a little bit, like it's showing that you you can do that well too, so it's it's awesome to see. Yeah, it's my first skis and trying to go for uh, focus solely on 50. I mean, I'm really, really only going for 50s. Yeah, that's impressive. So that's that's really what that's my approach. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how the skis. There's three three matches left in the skis. And so we'll see how that pans out. It's really hard to commit to that, too. I, looking back to the skis that I rolled with you and in, Beskemoth in as a Hundos for Hope. Like that was one of the hardest things I've probably done playing ski ball competitively was dedicate that entire skis into only rolling hundos only because there were so many times i'd hit the first ball and then i would want to transition back to the 40 pocket and kind of clean up the frame that way and it was just like ouch because then you miss like three in a row and then you might get one or two more and, and still finish with the 36 but it was like crushing and just annoying to think about the potential that frame had if i wasn't strictly rolling hundos only so yeah, if you're feeling any pressure from just, you know, dedicating all of your balls to the 50 pocket only, I can I can understand that pain. If people have listened to the other episode with you, you talked a little bit about how you got your name and how you first started. But how many teams have you played on over the years? Um, let's see. I've played on mm, four teams. I'm like the most, like in six years, I'm probably the person that has transferred teams the least. Me and Bonica probably been together she's been on on pretty much except for my first year and a half the other four and a half years i've been on a team with bonica we really gravitate towards each other I, she's we're kind of like we have this brother and sister relationship we're very much alike when it comes to our competitive nature and our and just the way we approach everything uh she's always they were around the we're born around the same time a year She's uh, one year older than me. The funny thing is I always forget how old I am. And Bonica will remind me, like, I'm a year older. Stop saying that you're this age. You're not. <laughs> but I forget. She's kept, like, for one whole year, I thought I was 38. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're not 38. I'm 38. So uh, she's like, you're... <laughs> so I, I was going around telling everyone I was 38 years old. And I wasn't. <laughs> I was 37. That's weird. <laughs> that is very weird. That's, see, that's how busy I am. I forget it's kind of dumb to say that out loud too (laughs) but yeah four teams i think you've already hinted at this but what is it that keeps you coming back season after season 
Yeah, you know, I will say that being a business owner and uh, working in nonprofits and doing a lot of active community stuff, I get to meet a lot of people every day, day in, day out, and I enjoy it. Um, what keeps me coming back to ski ball is the family-like environment, the friendships, the bonds. It's where I can go and, you know, utilize the old cheers phrase. You know, it's where like everybody knows your name, like your friends know who you are, your bartenders know who you are. It's a big old family. It's like a reunion, a weekly reunion every week of people that you just love. You know, they're competitive and that's what I love. What do most people call you? Do most people call you Eddie or Edward or do people call you Caxon? Most people call me Edward. Yeah, yeah, it's funny is even if you'll listen to nationals when we're on stage, I'm usually the only one that Pavoni will call me by my name. Everyone else will get their roller name. So he'll always mm-hmm. say the Phoenix or Beskemoth or Young Stud. It's always like I keep forgets sometimes that I'm like, you know, my name is a Caxon. So he'll say my name often on those live casts. So I'm, I'm usually Edward, even on the, in the skee-ball world. I think I've most often called you Edward, but I'll, I will switch back and forth if other people around us are calling you Eddie. Oh, yeah. Like I've noticed that I start to call you Eddie because other people are. Yeah, people, my family calls me Eddie. That's been a family thing. In college, I was called Ed. That was weird. Yeah, I don't think I would ever call you Ed. I don't know why they did that. It started in, when I played tennis in college, and that, yeah, that was, that was weird. And for... You know, people that don't know, like a backstory between, you know, Beskemith, Nick and I are from the same hometown. And I've known Nick since he was five or six years old. And um, his dad was actually my tennis coach. So I grew up with, with Nick. Nick is like a, a little brother. I, you know, I'm always, you know, excited to see him. It's like a piece of home. You know, when I go to the bar. Did you ever babysit Nick and have to change his diaper? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't that young. <laughs> but I, I don't, um, no, yeah, I was really close with his sister, Amanda. I, me and her were really, really close in high school. And so I would travel with them to tennis tournaments. I mean, growing up, uh, Nick's dad is, is kind of an amazing human. And his mom, I came from a pretty difficult situation where normally a person like me probably coming from these status that we were like, I wouldn't have ever played tennis because it's not a sport you can really afford. And Nick's dad really brings kids up that probably would never play the sport and couldn't afford to play it. And he even, you know, formed a summer club where our high school would have an outlet and we would travel to summer tournaments as a group. And I was fortunate that I would get to travel with them over Thanksgiving and Sometimes I wouldn't spend Thanksgiving with my family, but you know I would spend it with Nick and his family uh, so that I could play in a tennis tournament. And thanks to his dad, I was able to play in college. So it, would, it really paid off. I started playing tennis pretty late in life, and it was something I just picked up pretty quickly. And Nick's dad, Coach Hossel, had seen something in me that he decided to really dedicate a lot and invest in me. And he knew what I was struggling with at home at the time. So they're really kind of what changed the path of my life. I don't know that I would be where I'm at now had it not been for Nick Hosso's family. Well, I, didn't, I mean, I knew you guys grew up together, but I didn't realize there was that much of an impact. Yeah, it was pretty huge. Uh, that's why, you know, I'll, I would do anything for uh, Nick and his family. I mean, I owe them so much. My family owes them so much. And so I'm grateful for them. And they are like my family. Yeah, it's good to hear that backstory because I knew a little bit of that, but I didn't realize that sort of impact. And I think it explains a little bit 
about Hasso as well. He's one of the nicest people I know, one of the most compassionate, who's always like talking to everyone and always welcoming to, to new rollers and just anyone that he meets. So that makes sense. But you're responsible, I guess, you know, for bringing him into this world of competitive skee-ball. And, you know, he's told me numerous times that he's he's happy to be a part of this community and really keeps coming back to it because it is like a family. It is a community. He's met some really good friends, like some really good people that are now his best friends. And that's because we all have these this interconnectedness um, because of this. So it's great that you brought him into this. How did that happen? So Nick had um, his sister, Amanda had told me, Hey, Nick had come to visit and she said, Hey, Nick is considering moving to Austin. Will you like go out with him? Or is there anywhere you could take him? Essentially? I hope he doesn't kill me for this, but you know, and I, I was like, you know what? First of all, like I thought to myself, I'm like, well, how much time do I actually, um, can I do like to devote, like for him to like really feel like really taking Austin. And the first thing I thought was, he needs to join ski ball. First of all, he's going to be really, really good at it because again, I knew he was going to be good at it. I played tennis, you know, ski ball is like tennis, all muscle memory. It's like hitting a forehand or a backhand over and over again. You know, once you get that muscle memory down, it's again, kind of that sports psychology of it. Like there's nothing, it's just like pitching a ball. It's like throwing a ball. It's like hitting a forehand. So Nick came to play ski ball one night and he did really well and I knew that he would. And sure enough, for season, I mean he he was in the Brody, he was in the running for the Brody for the championship. I think he made final four his first season. And he um no, he made it to the finals. Uh he made it to the finals and um he won rookie of the year. I mean, he I knew that he would be great. And it was all a matter of he was just trying to make friends in Austin. And I mean, now he's one of, he knows more people than I do in the ski ball league because he's so outgoing and so welcoming to every single person that walks in there. It's inevitable that people don't know who he is. And now he's made a presence for himself on the national stage. So you both have like, don't sell yourself short. You both (laughs) have made a presence for yourself on the national stage. When you talk about that, you two now have two national titles together and you've been on the national stage three times together so two out of three is not bad yeah it's it's funny to say yeah bonica and i were talking about that yesterday oh we say that out loud like yeah we've won two nationals and it's like is that real like we really did that um it's pretty it's it's fun it's exciting you don't you know i can probably i don't know about nick and bonica i can't speak for them but i know myself like whenever you know we've been on that stage i have to go back and look at the video because I don't remember most of the time I am so focused and like living in the moment. I'm just trying to play and win that. I forget what happened or what I did or what I hit. It's always nice to go back. Thank- thankful for Brewski ball to of having all those videos, but, and, and doing the live cast, but it's uh it can be, it can be exciting and I enjoy it. So going back to this season, who do you think in Austin Brewski ball, has the best chance to to knock you guys down? Uh, I believe they are called the Bubblegum. I don't know their actual name. Um, you'll probably find it quicker than I will, but it's uh, Skivai John Kim, which is uh, his name is Thigh Gap. And who else is on their team? Uh, it's James, right? It's James. James Gregg. Oh, he's going to kill me for that. James Gregg, yeah. So All out of Bubblegum. What is it called? All out of bubblegum. All out of bubblegum. You know, I don't even know what that name means. Do you guys know? 
<laughs> no. I do. I mean, it, but uh, I'm going to butcher it if I try to say it now. Um, it's a f- part of a full line that is, I'm here to kick ass and... I think it's just, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Like, I think that's the full oh, line. Oh, okay. I think I butchered that, though. What is that it, from? I think it's just a saying, right? I don't, I don't know if the actual origin is Duke Nukem, but I think it is part of a Duke Nukem reference. Ah. I mean, you know a lot about it, actually. Because <laughs> I, I feel like it's actually from that, I feel like it's actually from the old, like, man, I'm going to sound so stupid on this thing because i'm like putting so many pieces together i think it's actually from a movie <laughs> that is a like i want to say it's like starring rowdy roddy piper i can't remember it's really yeah oh wow. and, right i just pulled it up and i think he says it is it this that am i close yeah yeah it's 1988 they live yeah according to imdb.com roddy piper says i came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass but i'm all out of bubblegum oh, funny that's hilarious. I knew I, I knew the reference. And I just haven't ever put it. I actually looked at it and put it together. And of course, with that said, like like there are so many good teams. I mean, uh, you know, Floaters team, the Full Circle Jerks are always in the running. You know, Mursky Burku, and there's a couple of new teams. Um, Ella, Rachel, and Sarah O have formed a team as well. I mean, that that's a thing about you know championships Sunday. Like you never know who's going to show up. It really puts a pressure on you. So we've gone into two or three Sunday championships, team championships, where we're the number one seed and we don't win. It, it's never ever guaranteed. I don't. We don't take. We roll the way we do. But then come come Nash, come uh, championship Sunday, anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. we feel your pain there. <laughs> we know that for sure. We've experienced that. I don't know that you guys have won a lot though. You've won like three. No, we only won two. Oh, that's more than enough. We didn't win our first one, though, until, like, our fourth season or fifth season, I think. It was, it took a while. Yeah, you guys did always have the best trading cards. You were really, really good with those. We don't, we, we have, I think we have, like, we're the team with the worst trading <laughs> cards. We never do anything. We've done, like, once. We had the wrestling outfits, which I thought was cool. Oh, the wrestling one was great. Yeah, and then... Other than that, like we're not going to be the one that gets picked out, unfortunately. I mean, everyone's got their thing. Nick's got his skeleton mask, you know, that he paints on, and Bonnie's, you know, I we're so lucky as a Hispanic Mexican culture to have someone like Bonnie, who's always on a you know platform for people of color to fight for rights and so and immigrants, and so Bonnie guys really will try to take home that message. If you ever watch any of her stuff, she's always got mm-hmm. an ICE reference or, or a nonprofit that she's really trying to push. So I'm super thankful for, for people like Bonica that, that are really out there spreading the message and bringing awareness. It's a really good thing for anyone to use whatever platform they have to do that, to bring awareness to whatever cause needs it right now. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of things going on that everyone should try to be more aware of, be more like just, it is really just about awareness and, and taking that in and not ignoring the stuff that's going on around you all the time. Uh, and she does. She does that very well. Yeah. So thinking about Skiva La Rasa, like, what are y'all's plans as a team? How long do you guys plan to continue on as like that team? Well, um, this is, I mean, essentially, we've regardless of what happens to Skizen, we've all decided that this will be our last Skizen continuously. So. Mm-hmm. 
regardless of we you know we want to go out with a you know on top but that's never guaranteed so we'll you know we'll do our best but yeah after this season i think we're gonna take a break and jump on some other teams and and i also think if there's a, a lot of people want us to break up like they're just like it's time it's you guys are too good and it's time to kind of nurture some new talent and and bring yeah. some people up which i completely understand you know no one wants you know the full circle jerks to win every season <laughs> and they could mm-hmm. if they if they all you know that uh, original full circle jerks that that really dominated and they've they've used other you know teammates to really bring that up as well so i think that yeah after the season we're we'll take a break we talk about uh, essentially getting back together if we get put on a national team mm-hmm. and hopefully you know the you know we'll see how that turns out but as a team at nationals we've been together three times and have been in the finals three years in a row so uh winning two of them like willie stated earlier you know i think you know we always have a target on our back and it never it does you know we feel the pressure for sure but uh, we do also like the stage yeah and all three of us really thrive off competition so we enjoy the competitive nature of the whole thing yeah i think it'll be good for the league that's going to be a tough decision for uh next year's national coach i mean you keep rolling Mm -hmm. the way that you're rolling and you're a solid anchor or Mm -hmm. you're even you could stay in the middle but that's a solid role to put in the middle of anyone's game uh, like someone averaging a 370 or 380 like that's that's gonna make a huge difference Hell yeah yeah i think that was a you know that was a big topic of conversation this last nationals is like you know the year before with floater and Corey and the you know the jerks uh skivai you know them winning the hybrid game really came to life and the 40 game which was us the year before had won and so this was going to be the new time to showcase so going into nationals I mean, there were, you know, some people coming up to us and it was even said on Lanecast, like, you know, some people find the 40 game, the middle game boring. And it's it's not fun to watch if you're a spectator because they're just going up the middle and you want a, you know, fancy hundo 50 game to kind of showcase and really watch the best of the best do that. You know, it's really people if they're feeling it and they can hit it and, you know, but, you know, that's always in our, our back pocket too. Like we have that option. And mm-hmm. Bonica and Nick to go competitively for hundos and, and make a huge difference. I obviously practice hundos as well. It's a, it's a matter of, you know, when do we have to bring it out? And if you're not going to make us do it, you know, then, you know, why would we? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that underestimate your ability to roll hundos for sure, just because it, it hasn't been on display. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. Even with, but I've seen you do it. Yeah. I, I, I think that you can, I know that you can, and I've seen, even with Bonica, they surprised everyone uh, in that match against Alchemist with with their mm-hmm. hundos. I know that Serpico from New York was just like, I didn't know that Bonica could do that. I had no idea that they could go up and just put up a fifty four, and it not be a big deal. And, Absolutely, and that's scary. And I think the first time yeah. that you show that to people, it's going to be really scary. But even now, with a fifty game, it's enough. Like. Just keep pushing it. Well, and I think that, you know, the game has really been elevated because it's it's become more of a mathematics numbers strategy because, you know, there are coaches like you guys and, you know, the Wickmans that kind of put it at the forefront of of really getting those numbers, really starting playing, you know, mental games and uh, really knowing what to hit 
and hit what numbers you need to hit, what you need to get to really push the other team to go for something that they could likely make a mistake and make that gap bigger. And so had it not been for you guys, I think that we wouldn't be in a position where there's such good rollers right now and people are having to go big because that's what they've had to do. And, you know, utilizing full circle bar as their practice for those of us that have that, that's why people are getting good so quickly. I mean, you have that option to go seven days a week to practice. You know, I get to go one once or twice a week if I'm lucky and to walk in there and still have a, you know, first year roller come close to me. I'm like, man, I got to step up my game. But, you know, they're good. So they deserve it. Thinking about the the national stage, I think we've talked about this before. And if you're okay with talking about it now, how different has it been like being on the team that wins? But also you have some history with the national team and being the person who got pulled just before the national finals. That was my first national tournament. And, you know, we had, it was, I, I mean, oh, and you look back at it, Austin did win and my team that, that I was on ended up winning nationals that year, which was our first time with Austin. So it was still a victory. But as a competitive person too, I was rolling well, what I thought was well during that whole tournament during nationals. So we weren't on the lower spectrum of, of the way the teams were going. And I thought I was doing well. For, I, had an, I had a feeling it was coming based off the pool we were in. And I even talked to Tommy Weeble. He was on the team. I talked to him before they even pulled me aside. I, uh, I told him on the way to the store, I was like, I think they're going to pull me. I really do. And sure enough, we got back from that and they did. And I, I'm a competitor. Like I'm the, I'm the type of person that I'm the one that wants the ball in my hand. Like I want that last ball to make the, I, I enjoy that. I thrive off that. And that comes from, you know, sports background. So getting pulled for something that you're practicing and you know that you were doing well was, was hurtful. And I, Tried not to take it thinking big picture, but you know, I took it personally. I actually went to my car at nationals and I, I was crying. I was like full on, like embarrassed slash like, ah, oh, did I suck that bad? And I remember, um, Amy Wickman, uh, doozles <laughs> coming up to me after it had happened to like kind of console me. And I was just like, do not touch me. Like, I just need to get out of here. I know it sounds horrible and she totally gets it. Cause she's completely the same way, but that was the person that it needed to, that I'm glad it was her that I said that to, because she mm-hmm. understands. I don't know that most people would have understood me in that mindset. I just wanted to win and I wanted to be on a team and being at your first nationals and having it, it was really heartbreaking, but we won. And after uh, I had like my little 10, 15 minute breakdown, I got back you know, to the stage and, and was cheering for the team and doing whatever I could do to help them. So we'd be more of a supporter. But yeah, again, it was the best decision in the end. Matthew and Brubaka and Tommy ended up winning the whole thing for Austin. So that was big. I remember seeing you and like, ooh, man, like it was crushing. Yeah. Could see it like telegraphed on your face. I think most people would have understood if you reacted that way with other people, you know, other than uh, Doozles, like I think most people would have known that they should give you some space and not taking it personally. But yeah, that was a brilliant move. The way it all worked out. I mean, the question will always be, would y'all still have won if you were on the team? That's definitely a big what if. But when it was all said and done, like that was a brilliant fucking coaching year. And like that kind of changed national level coaching from like that point moving forward. But on the other hand, 
you know, you were rolling well. Almost everybody was rolling well. And most of it was just that the alternate to fill in was Roy, you know, which was like the really hard decision to make. It's like, man, do we leave out potentially our best roller and like the most talent and like this kind of super move and super like, you know, secret weapon and let it ride out? Or do we have to, do we bring that person in because we feel like we can't leave that person out? And then who are we going to select to like substitute Roy in for? So like, I would have not wanted to make that decision. I will say that as um, I've been fortunate, I guess, to not have to make those sort of decisions in the last couple of years and last three years, because that would be tough. It is tough to think about pulling somebody from a tournament from a coach's perspective, because you know everyone there is, is there to compete and everyone wants to do their best. It was watching that and watching that sort of coaching moment and the numbers behind it, all of that have helped influence the way that I go about coaching the team. Uh, in the first tournament that I was coaching, I almost pulled Hasso from y'all's team. I know you know that, and I know that like he wasn't happy about it. And I don't think that I... I probably didn't even say all the right things to him whenever I pulled him aside to talk about it, like looking back on that conversation. But I did need him to know that like I needed him to like be the roller that I knew he could be because he didn't have a, a first couple of good games. Like they're just below his average and just average. And I didn't want you guys to not make it to the end game because at the end you you were going to do really well. I knew that you would. And so I don't know that my conversation with him was very motivating, but I mean, he did end up turning it on in that next game. And then I was like, okay, I don't have mm -hmm. to pull him. So that's, that's good. But I would have hated to pull him. And I, yeah. I will say that, you know, fortunately you... You had the conversation with him and then came to Bonica and I and asked what we thought and said, you know, I'm going to leave this up to you guys. Like, what do you, what do you think? Bonica and I walked away from you. I, I can recall this and uh, we're in that backyard, a full circle bar and we walk away and I'm just like, we can't. And, you know, Bonica, you know, agreed. Like we couldn't, we couldn't being the person that got pulled, you know, two years before I was like, I can't do this to him. Like, I know he can do it. Like he loves the big stage. I know this guy, he will do well. And sure enough, he came and rolled like six or seven full circles against a team that had beat us. I think they were number one seed. Um, they might've been, um, they were up there if not one, at least two, but we drew the team that beat us the group stage, uh, you know, round one and so we were nervous to play them and he ended up rolling six or seven full circles like lights out and we we upset some people uh on the way up there and you know he didn't start off well which is why you probably thought that i i guess fortunately you saw and you took our input as well to make your final decision so i'm glad you did though that's the thing it's always been about team chemistry the decision that we came to when we talked about it was it's not going to help you to put someone on your team who even though you're their friend you don't want on your team right it's not the teammate that you've been practicing with it's not the person that you know that you understand it just didn't make sense to make that move like it wasn't going to make you play better if anything it was going to have a some sort of detrimental effect on your game and bonica's game and it was just like I don't want to do that. I don't want to make this team worse because I add somebody who is not used to rolling with them. I feel you on, on your side of that decision, and I understand the, the coach's perspective as well because it's, it's not easy. Yeah, that, was, uh, that, that whole Nationals was, it was uh, Halloween and so 
cold and I still couldn't believe that we were in the position that we were in. Like, I mean, even the semifinals, I feel like we always have to play Austin at some point. That's how good Austin is, is you're going to meet an Austin team on the national stage. And so we played a really tough Austin team. It's like Skivai, Corey, and James Gregg. And I mean, they were tough. I mean, it came down to the last roller. I mean, Corey was hitting hundos. I think if he hit one more hundo, we would have lost. So that's how close mm-hmm. Austin was in that to get to the championship. And so, I mean, it, it was it was tough. And then, you know, get to the finals and you have like a Boosh and, uh, and Joey the Cat against you, a, a strong, solid San Francisco team that can roll lights out. We were nervous. We were all, that was our first time and we were super nervous. And if you look in the crowd at, at the, any of the footage, you notice us just kind of trying to be in a corner somewhere in a like ball and really not focusing on anyone else. I think you were next to us and, and Roy during that whole time. And it was exciting and also very nerve wracking. Yeah, I'm, I was pretty, pretty stoked. I also thought like, man, how are we ever going to do this again? Making it back every, <laughs> the last two years have been, uh, yeah. have been, it's been fun. You guys were right to be nervous going into that final against that team. Like I would definitely would have been nervous. But you guys, gosh, man, put on a fucking clinic in that match. And shout out to James, that semifinal match, because he had filled in for Joe LeBon. And I was kind of blown away with how well he rolled, like coming into the the weekend cold. You know, like he didn't roll any matches before that game. And it was like physically cold, like temperature was cold outside. I thought he rolled really well in that match. Very, very close. I definitely remember feeling torn as like a teammate and spectator and just a member of, of Austin, like, I'm, I just like I don't even know how to remove myself from the situation right now to remain indifferent and like neutral, you know. Which we we got practice at it, like, and then like Roy and Willie, like, and like we were all gone, you know, for the the final between Calabunga and uh, what was y'all's name? Um, this the, the year we lost shell oh, shock, yeah, shell shock, yeah. right? Yeah, like we were just like ghost. We just ghosted from like being outside for that one. So uh, well, you were on the lane cast, weren't you? Yeah, Roy yeah. and I worked for that <laughs> oh, one. Yeah, yeah, and it was rainy and cold. It was it was horrible to be outside during that one. Yeah, we haven't have not had the best of luck with weather, no. and in Austin for the Beeb. Thinking about those uh, the nationals, obviously those stand out. They're memorable experiences. But do you have a, another favorite moment from your ski ball career at this point? Man, those are hard to top. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I will say that every nationals is always like going just to the Beeb, uh, the national tournament is, is a standout because it's, uh, again, like a high school reunion. One of the rollers from Wilmington and, and I, uh, their ski EO, Mary, uh, she and I had this conversation this past uh, nationals where we're like, we both are, you know, we have relationships and, and, I would love for, you know, my partner to come out and, and Mary's married and we're like, but this is kind of like our thing. Like, this is like our family environment. Like we just want to come have a big family reunion. And that's really what it is. I think I, I enjoy the going to nationals and just seeing everyone for like three days, three or four days. And it's literally the best time you'll ever have. So I, I, I that is a standout for me other than, you know, your team bonding and things like that. And, you know, getting there. I think that's a highlight for me, you know, going, if you, if you, if I can't take the national stage moment, then it's the, the reunion of the family moment. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I've heard 
a lot of people when I first started, I didn't know what the national tournament was. I didn't know what the beeb was, as they call it. I I was told it was basically like summer camp. And I was like, oh, okay, that that makes sense. Like after experiencing it once, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I think there was even a, like the water slide at the first one. So I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, the scoot. It's summer camp for adults with children's games. Absolutely. That's a that's a perfect way to say it. I appreciate you coming out again, Edward, and spending time with us yeah. to have this conversation. It's needed to happen for a long time. And it's awesome to, to finally get the full team, all of Skiva yeah, LaRosa. you got the trifecta now, right? <laughs> you were the one you were the elusive one I was one. the missing link you know they're more appealing I will say that myself <laughs> they, they, uh, they have some pretty like amazing games I'm the uh, like I said I'm the the anchor to always get that score <laughs> so I was the last one to come in that's still an honor to even be asked to come thanks for tuning in to our talk with Edward Flores also known as the Caxon you can follow him on Instagram at edwardflores81 and at Julio Child's Kitchen. You can find us online at 40outpodcast.com and on Instagram at 40outpodcast. Let us know you're enjoying the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. Considering everything that's happening in the world right now, we just want to encourage everyone to take care of yourself, each other, and stay safe out there while we're all dealing with this pandemic. If you plan on distancing yourself over the next few weeks, you can always go back and re-listen to older episodes of 40 Out. We also hope you're discovering other indie podcasts and supporting them too. Our goal for the next episode is to feature a guest outside of Brewski Ball. So roll up a chair and tune in next time. Thanks so much for listening.